What God has started, God will finish. Praise his holy name. The Holy Spirit's the earnest of our inheritance. He's God's guarantee to what God started in you when you were truly born again that God's going to finish. Maybe some bumps along the way, there will be. Some heartaches, some victories. But remember, you're in his hand, the hand of Jesus. And nothing can snatch you out of his hand. We're looking at some messages on the gospel of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, there are five messages. First of all, we're looking at the person of the cross. I I touched on that last week. Then we're looking at the provision of the cross, and I did part of that last week. And then with the person on the cross, then the purpose of the cross, then the provision of the cross, the personal invitation of the cross, and the power of the cross. So I'm just going to mention one verse about the first two subjects. First of all, the person on the cross. Paul understood who it was when he said in Galatians 6, 16, or 14, God forbid, God forbid that I should glory. Galatians 6, 14. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and me to the world. Paul could have have boasted about his education at the feet of Gamaliel. He could have boasted that he was the number one Pharisee of the Pharisees. There was much he could have boasted about before he was converted. But you remember, he said, I counted all of that but loss. All that I had before Jesus, I counted it as garbage that I might know Christ and I might have his righteousness. So we're going to glory in the cross because that is our only hope of eternal redemption. Now as we think of the person on the cross, one scripture I want to give you And it explains it, and we'll move on. Philippians 2, look look, uh, at verse 5. We're going to read about to verse 11. Now, the person on the cross was Jesus Christ, or was Jesus Christ. He is perfect deity. He is the same substance as the Father. And he is 100% God. But at the same time, he's the son of man. He called himself that. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. So here we have perfect deity and perfect humanity in the person of Jesus Christ who's going to the cross. Well, that's amazing. The God-man 
God himself. And then the last Adam. Listen to what it says in Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that word means the same deity, the same essence, the same substance, who being God did not consider it something to be held on to. He didn't have to hold on to it. To be equal with God. But now here's where it gets good. But Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, perfect man. It says he made himself of no reputation. When you're born in a manger in a stable, uh, you're not starting out with too good a reputation. He laid aside everything, made himself of no reputation. And listen to this. He took upon him the form of a bondservant. Here he is, God, perfect God, man, perfect man taking the form of a bondservant, a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of you and me. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus lived on this earth as perfect man, full of the Holy Spirit. And found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I reckon he did. And became, I love this, obedient to death. He was obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. When Jesus came, he had one major thing he was looking forward to. It was called his last hour. He knew that we were born to live. But he knew that he was born to die. And the, all, over, all a shadow over Jesus from the time he was consumed in the womb of Mary the Virgin and came forth at the fullness of time in Bethlehem. Over him was the shadow of the cross. He never got away that he was born to die. And he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, Therefore, God highly exalted him. Jesus gave him a name above every name. Above every name. Every name. That at the name, uh, 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 the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I looked up that word every. It means every. You say, but Brother Fred, I haven't bowed my knee to Jesus. You will. You will in repentance and godly sorrow and be saved. Or you'll bow your knee at the judgment and cry out for mercy. Oh, it's not if you're going to bow your knee to Jesus. It's not if, it's when. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Boy, I love this. And that every 
tongue will confess. How many does every mean? Every. That means you. That means you. You'll either do it and embrace him as Lord and Savior, or you'll do it and face him as judge. At that, at the, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, oh, by the way, of God the Father. That's the person on the cross. Perfect deity, perfect humanity, taking our place. But then we move on, and I could say many things about the purpose of the cross, his life. But I'm going to move on to the second one, and that is the purpose of the cross. Well, why did Jesus lay aside his deity? Why did he become a bondservant? Why was he made in the likeness of men? Why did he come knowing he was born to die on the cross? Why did he do that? Because there was a real purpose in Jesus on the death on the cross. See, the death on the cross was not a, a mob rule where a group of angry people grabbed Jesus and against his will took him to the cross and nailed him there and mocked him and spit on him. You remember what Jesus told him? He said, listen, you couldn't lay one hand on me unless God allowed it. He said, I could call a legion, ten legions of angels to come and set me free. Oh, Jesus wasn't forced to the cross. He voluntarily, voluntarily became a ransom for many. Jesus Christ went to the cross with his own volition and his own will. Did he struggle with it? You remember from the very beginning he said, my hour has not yet come. My hour, he was talking about the cross. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Then when Judas betrayed him in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, my hour has come. Let us go forth. And he went before Pilate, and you know the story. Pilate just said, he tried his best to wash his hands of Jesus. He tried to get Jesus off his hands, but he couldn't do it. Finally, he said to the Jews, why do you want to kill this man? What has he done? Well, they, he's, he says he's God. And, and he says that, uh, uh, that, he, that he's the son of the Father. And that's why we want to kill him. But let me tell you, really, he's upset our religion. He said that we can't work our way into heaven, and that upsets us. So we're going to kill him because he's going he's to mess up our religion if he does and so he went down the process, and he started, he started going toward the cross. The trial by Pilate, them calling for Barabbas, a criminal, instead of Jesus. He said, I'll let Jesus go, the wonderful, majestic son of man, or I'll let Barabbas go, the worst criminal he had in prison. And all the people said, give us Barabbas. That shows the wickedness of the human heart. That shows the depravity of where a person can get, where they choose a, a, a robber and a murderer and a thief over the Son of God, sinless, perfect. And so 
He knew why he came. And he came, he said, Paul, Paul knew why he came. In Timothy 1.15, he said, This is the faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world. Now, why did he come? To save sinners. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, I was thinking today about the purpose of the cross. And I was thinking about John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse verse uh, 29, 30, and 34. Now, Jesus had just come on the scene. John had baptized him. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, had come down from heaven. And the Father had spoken, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And John was baptizing, see. So John is ready to make a declaration about who Jesus is. And I want you to listen to what he said. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who is the greatest teacher you'll ever hear. That's not what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who will work more miracles than anybody could ever imagine. That's not what he said. Do you know what he said? The only thing that really was important. He said, look, look, there is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. I guarantee you every Jew was glad to hear that, even though they were self-righteous. John said he's on a mission, and he's going to accomplish that mission. He's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. My, my, what a purpose. What a purpose for the cross. I want us to think a moment about Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 19. It seems like this morning the Lord was saying to me, people really do not understand the depths of sin because we've lived in it our entire lives. I mean, this is a sinful world, y'all. It's a sinful world. Oh, my heavens, it is a sinful world made up of sinful people. And you ask me, Brother Fred, why are people so sinful? I'll tell you why. The same reason I was and pray to God I am now and the same reason you were, we were born with a sinful nature, a depraved nature. We were born with a sinful nature and the natural thing for us to do as we progressed in life was for that sinful nature to manifest itself. You see, before Adam sinned, he, had, he was a partaker of the divine nature. But after he sinned, he was born with a sinful nature that was totally depraved. And the Bible says about his sinful nature that, that, uh, that it was just desperately wicked. And so people live the way they live without Jesus because they have a sinful nature. And, and so l- listen how it describes the sinfulness of this world. I'm telling you, 
we've grown accustomed to sin. We don't know how serious it is. I'm telling you, we don't. Everywhere you look at somebody's committing sin, everywhere you look, and, and we find ourselves thinking, well, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus had to punish that sin in his son on the cross, that's pretty bad. If your sin had to be punished by God in his son on the cross, you can never take sin lightly. And just read what it says in, 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 in Romans chapter 3. And, 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 and boy, I can identify with this because it's true of me and you too. There's none righteous, no, not one. How many of you would trust your righteousness to get you into heaven? Nobody. Our righteousness is filthy rags. So he said, listen, there's none righteous. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the understanding of spiritual things, and they became living in their mind and in their reason, and, and says there's none who understands. When you go up and talk to a person about the cross and how Jesus died for them, they don't understand. They don't understand. It's foreign to them. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal it to them. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. I want to ask you a question. Did you seek God or did God seek you? Who was it that first spoke to you about your sin? Who was it that first spoke to you about your need for forgiveness? I tell you, I was only nine years old. And, I, you know, I don't know all that happened when I was nine, but I know I was never the same. Oh, I messed up along the way. I was chief of sinners like Paul till God got me in the corner when I was 19. But I'll tell you one thing. I remember the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit when I was nine years old saying, You need Jesus. You need Jesus. I wasn't seeking him. I went to Bible school because they had refreshments. That's why I went. I wasn't seeking him. But my he was seeking me. What if I hadn't been there? My God. And I remember after that, I never lost my God consciousness. Never. I'd go to bed every night and been living like hell all day. And boy, I'd pray before I went to sleep. I'm glad I didn't die when I, in that state. I don't know if I'd have gone to heaven or not. But I do know I never lost my God consciousness after I was three. But you've you got to understand that it's not a matter of you seeking God. Oh, no. You, most some of you are running from him. But I'm going to tell you something. If you could be as lost as a person could be, but God's still seeking you. He's still speaking to you. He's still on your trail. And I pray to God you will not reject him and will not reject what he has for you. And it goes on and says in Romans 3, they have all turned aside. Yeah, I did. They've all together become unprofitable. I was. There's none that does good. No, not one. You say, I, I did a good deed. I gave a, 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 a poor man some money. Well, but what was your motive? 
Was it out of guilt? Or did you give it because you loved God? There's none good, no, not one. And boy, <laughs> you, know, you know what sin affected the most? Well, it affected the most our heart. But then what's in our heart comes out of our mouth. And it's going to take more than soap to wash it out of your mouth. It's going to take the blood of Jesus to cleanse your heart. Listen to what he says. God, boy, the tongue, the good it can do, but the harm it can do. Oh, my heavens, the joy it can bring or the wounds it can leave. It says, their throat is an open tomb. What comes out of a tomb? Death. Death. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit, deceiving people. The poison of asp is under their lips. Woo. My goodness. What, is, what a wicked thing. The poison of asp is under the lip. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Thank God, the first thing God took away from me after I got saved was cursing. I'm so grateful for that. Boy, I was, it, 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 it was abomination. Their, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You know, there are a lot of bitter, bitter people in this world. I read the other day where the guy that worked at Walmart every day and his manager fired him or something. So he went in there and shot the manager and the assistant manager, then shot himself. We used to be, we just didn't like, we got fired. We didn't like it. We'd deal with it. And, but we wouldn't go kill them. That's why there's so many, many people, so much domestic violence. It says, uh, they're swift to shed blood. That's abortion. That's all the murders that happen in Mobile every weekend. That's the mass slayings that are happening more and more. You know, I was thinking today, God, why is it? Lord, in, Ch in uh, Chicago, they'll have 115 murders on the weekend. And in Baltimore, they'll have hundreds of murders on the weekend. What is this, oh God? It's almost like God's restraining hand has been taken off of this country. And I mean, and, 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 and people just shooting and shooting and killing and stabbing. I'm telling you, the, 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 I believe the restraining hand of God has been pulled back. Whoever dreamed that this would go on day after day, week after week, man after month, and they're getting younger, like they shot this 17-year-old kid, three people did, over at Rickerby Park. It's always something. It says here, they're swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Wow. You know, people who are lost, they're miserable. They're miserable. They're trying every way they can find peace. They're trying every way they can find happiness. Oh, they can smoke a joint and get a little bit of relief. Kind of puts them in a state, well, I don't care. I don't. Then they can drink three or four shots of liquor. and They'll just 
their mind is not as altered and they're not, they're, they're not, they're not in reality then. See, why do people do that? They can't live with themselves. They can't live with themselves, y'all. Tell them they can't. There's too much inside of them. Too much inside of them. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. You know, I found out that families can be fragmented and not have peace. Neighbors can be fragmented and not have peace. Husband and wife can be fragmented and not have peace. Without Jesus, I don't see how anybody has peace. I, I really do in, 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 with, in a marriage relationship, family relationships. And this is the last thing. If you want to know you're in danger, if you really want to know you're in danger, this is you. He's described all these things, and he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. I don't care what God said. I don't care what God's word says. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to control my life. I'm not about to turn my life over to Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, no. See, you've lost the fear of God. You've lost the fear of God. And that, listen, the, the purpose of the cross was because we had a deadly problem. Everybody in this room. And the problem is sin. And it, it's so common in America today that it doesn't bother anybody. It doesn't bother anybody. And the church is certainly not coming down and preaching against it. You go to church and they say, let me tell you how you can feel good. Let me tell you how you can be happy. Let me tell you how you, you know, you know when the tough get going, uh, when gangs are tough, the tough gets going. And it's all self-sufficient. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I'll tell you right now, without Jesus Christ, you will never overcome sin. Never overcome it. It'll be your slave until the day you die unless you come to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't believe that. You, well, I'm just telling you, you don't have to believe it. It's in the Word of God, and God always keeps His Word. So the purpose of the cross, God wanted to take care of our sin. That was our biggest problem. You know, they say today the biggest problem is racial injustice. What's at the root of racial injustice? Sin. The biggest problem is uh, domestic abuse. What's at the root of that? Sin. Every problem we have has a root, and it's sin. It's rebellion against God. It's going against God's way. And we're all sinners. Now, when you come to Jesus, and you're born again by the Spirit of God, and you become a new creation, yes, you're tempted. Yes, you're tempted. But you're not running to sin. You're running from sin. Anybody that's been truly born again will tell you, before I was running to sin, but then everything changed. And I realized how wicked it was and where I was headed, and I started going the other way. Sin lost its appeal to me. And so this whole thing is about sin. I want you to listen at this verse. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. 
John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. He was talking to a bunch of religious people, the Pharisees. Jesus said, now you need to go back a verse, I believe. John 20, uh, Jesus said in John 8, 23, you are from beneath, you're, you're from the earth, I am from above. You're of this world. I'm not, not of this world. Now listen to what he said. Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sin. I'd hate to come to Memorial Gardens or Radney or, and look down in the casket at you and say, well, that's sad. Wouldn't be judging you. Your life's over. But there was no fruit in your life. There was no godly sorrow that led you to repentance. And say, there, there you are. And I say, my, my, he died in his sin. She died in her sin. Listen to me. That does not have to be. Why in this world do you think Jesus came and took the wrath of God upon him for your sin on the cross and suffered in agony and died? Why do you think he came? He came so that you wouldn't die in your sin. And if you die in your sin, it's because you choose to die in your sin. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that everything I need to be forgiven and to be saved. Thank God everything that I need to live a changed life has already been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. And all I have to do is have a godly sorrow that would lead me to repent and turn away from the wickedness that is destroying my soul now and will destroy my life in hell. Well, the purpose of the cross was that God would take care of our sin. But I want to talk about the provision of it, the provision of the cross. What does it take for sinful man to be right with holy God? What does it take for me, a sinful man, to be right with holy God? What does it take? How can God be holy holy, holy, and still justify sinners? How can he be just and the justifier of those that have sinned? It all goes back to this, that God punished the sins of the human race and his son on the cross. Did you know that uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the wrath of the Father for your sin was being poured out on Jesus. And he was suffering for your sin. He was suffering for your wickedness. And the, it said the fight was the Father's plan, that Jesus would bear our sin so that we could be forgiven. Listen to these verses. 
Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. He is despised and rejected of men. Jesus. He's a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. Jesus was despised. Sweetest, most loving, godly man that ever lived. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely, he has took your griefs, and surely he's taken your sorrows, yet we esteemed him, smitten by God, smitten by who? When he was on the cross, he was smitten by God. He was smitten by the Father, God punishing the God-man. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen to this. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all went astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. Are you listening to me? And the Lord. We've all gone astray. We've all turned our own way. And the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. You know? It is pretty serious when God takes your sin and lays it on his son and punishes his son with his wrath. Friend, that's why you can never take it lightly. That's why you can never, ever, 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 ever take it lightly. The world laughs at sin. The world mocks at sin. The world says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but I'm telling you it's a short season. And it goes on and says in Isaiah uh, 53, verses uh, uh, 16. Listen to what it says. Now, this is going to blow your mind. It does me every time I read it. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. What? Here's Jesus stretched out on the cross. And the sins of the whole world and the sins of everybody in this room is laid on him. And it pleased the Father to bruise him. Wonder what was going on in the heart of the Father. It pleased the Father to bruise him. When you make his soul an offering for sin. He made Jesus' soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He's going to raise him from the dead. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. God's going to see the way Jesus bore it on the cross. 
He shall see the labor of his soul be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteousness, by my knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him to be sin, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made Jesus, who was perfect, who knew no sin, to be sin for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let, let me give you two pictures of, of the cross and how Jesus, and I want you, I want you to listen carefully. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want, I want you to get a picture now of Jesus bearing the wrath of the Father, and he's borne the wrath of the Father. God has raised him from the dead. That says here. But, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And that's what we need, redemption to be bought back, to be purchased, to be paid for. He obtained, when he went there and sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood, he was obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. I love this. How much if the blood of a bull and a goat could sanctify the unclean? Listen to this. This is why you can be forgiven. This is why the, every wicked sin that was in my heart and yours can be washed away by the blood of Christ, never to be remembered by God anymore, never to be remembered by God anymore. How can he do that? Because you of good works? No. Because of you were religious and went to church? No. The only way your, your sins will ever be washed away when you die to yourself and come to the cross and say, Jesus, you are my only hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into the presence of God. Look what it says. How much more shall the blood of Christ, ooh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he'll cleanse your conscience. Oh, guilt, guilt, shame. Oh, what I've done in the past, what I'm doing in the present. How can I live with this guilt and shame? How can I go to the ICU knowing that I will soon die living with this guilt and shame? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience, praise the name of Jesus, from dead works 
to serve the living God. For this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant. By the means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal life. Then there's verses 24 through 28. Now, listen to this. I'm talking about what Jesus, the provision for our sin. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which were the copies of the true. But get this. He's died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He's sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood. (laughs) But Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. I stand before holy God guilty, guilty, guilty. You say, Brother Fred, I'm not too bad. If God would open your eyes and show you how wicked you are, you couldn't stand it. Think of all the thoughts, attitudes, words, acts, deeds. Oh, well, I'm really not that bad. You're worse than you think you are. And that includes me. I'm glad you don't know me like God knows me. But he said he went into heaven itself, Jesus did, to appear in the presence of God for me, a wicked sinner, for you. That he should not offer himself often as I priest and as the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But there's another couple of verses on the end of that that you've got to see. And that is uh, verse 27. Now, he's talked about Jesus appearing in the presence of God for us and that we might be forever saved. But, and then he goes on and says, I want to remind you something. Look at what this verse is. It's in that same chapter. It is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. Oh, the grave is not the end. When you take your last breath, it is not your last breath. It will be on this earth. But you've got an appointment. It is appointed once for man and woman to die. This is in that same chapter on the sacrifice. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I'm telling you, it is glorious. Man, I got something that's so important. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this next chapter. And then I'll finish the other one up. Um, because that's a message in itself. 
All right, now we're talking about God's provision for sin. All right, now we see that he died on the cross. God placed our sin on him. He went into heaven, sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, which took care of our sins. And then he went into the presence of God himself and, 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 and saying, I've, I've, I've finished the work you gave me to do. And he made provision that we could be saved. All right, but let's listen to this, and we'll, we'll wind it up. Hebrews 10, 11, and verse through 22. Every priest stands daily ministering, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, no more sacrifices. After they offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of his father because he had finished his work. From that time waiting till his enemies would be made his footstool. For by one offering on the cross, he is perfected forever. Anybody that repents and comes to him, he is perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. For the Holy Spirit witnesses to us and after he had said before in Hebrews 10, 16, this is a covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law in, in their mind, hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. Then he adds their sins and lawless deeds. This is part of the new covenant. Their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. You say, Brother Fred, are you going to go to appear before the judgment? Oh, yes. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment of the wicked and of the lost. The only people that are going to be at the great white throne judgment are those who died in their sins. But every born-again, truly born-again child of God will not go before the great white throne. We'll be before the judgment seat of Christ. So, yeah, I will, I will uh, have to go before the judgment seat of Christ, but he won't mention one of my sins. They're all gone. They're washed forever in the blood of Jesus. If you believe when Jesus saved you, if you saved, he washed all your sins away, never ever to see them again, would you say amen? amen. That's exactly right. That's the best news I've ever heard in my life. Whoo! My soul. If, if it wasn't for that, I'd have to stand before him and he'd say, guilty. But praise God. He will judge me for the way I've served the Lord and judge you the way you've served the Lord. So it says in Hebrews, verse 18, where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. By the new and living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. But now I want to uh, show you the most sobering, sobering passage in the Word of God. There may be some more sobering, but I don't know. 
What if a person hears the gospel of Christ, that Jesus Christ took their sins, he bore their sins, God punished their sins in his son, God showed his approval by raising from the... What if they hear about that sacrifice? What if they hear about it? They say, well, I don't want anything to do with it. That's not for me. I want to live my life. I'm not about to admit I'm guilty and helpless. You see, you know why people have trouble getting saved? You have to admit you're guilty and helpless. That's what you got to do. People will fight. And don't you ever tell a person that's under conviction, you're not so bad. Bull. Oh, wait a minute. I shouldn't have said that. My heavens. My heavens. Don't tell him he's not so bad. He's ten times worse than he thinks he is. Don't try to give a comfort to a person's under conviction of sin. Don't try to comfort them. Don't do that. Oh, you're just going through a time in your life and you'll get over it. Don't No. If they're under conviction, you leave them under conviction. And don't you try to give them any comfort at all. You just say to them, you have got to die and give, give your life to Jesus Christ, admitting you're helpless and you cannot live for God without him. I mean, you've got to come to the end of yourself and then in, with a godly sorrow, place your, hand, your life in the hand of Jesus. Now, just listen to this. I'm through. See, I, they, we took up some time, so I'm, I, I've, I've got some time. You've got to hear this. And if it bothers you that we are going to be about five or ten minutes after 11, I'd like to talk to you about your salvation. But anyway... Now listen to this. This is dead serious. It scared me to death the first time I read it. If we, if we sin willfully, well, there's no other kind of sin. Sin's willful sin. You will to do it. it, it it's no other kind. But he's saying if we willfully go on sinning, we know we're sinning. I know about the sacrifice. I will not receive it. I will not come to the end of myself and repent with a godly sorrow that I've sinned against the holy God. I will not do that. I will not do that. And so, okay, all right. You can do that now, by the way. But listen what it says. If we willfully go on sinning, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, which is about the cross and Jesus bearing our sins, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What? You mean there gets a time when there's no longer a sacrifice for sin? Oh, yeah. If you reject the sacrifice that has already been offered in Jesus and say no, then there's no other sacrifice. That's the only sacrifice. I know what Jesus did for me. I do not have a godly sorrow. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Then you know about the sacrifice and you're willfully going on sin, sinning after you've received the knowledge of the truth. What do you have looked forward to? But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. If I reject his sacrifice, all I've got to look forward to is judgment. And fiery indignation 
which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God under his feet? I know that God punished my sin in Jesus. I know that Jesus suffered the agony of that cross with my sins on him. I know that. But I'm not ready to let go of my life. I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to come to the cross. I'm not ready. Okay. Then all you have to look forward to, about much worse, how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy? Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of his covenant by which he is sanctified a common thing. They see the blood of Jesus as just a common thing. And they insult the grace of God. God's grace says, look, what my son did for you on the cross, I know it, but I am not going to give up the control of my life. I'm going to live for myself. I will not receive that sacrifice. And, and he says, man, you've trampled the Son of God, and you've refused, you've, you've refused, you've insulted the grace of God who provided it for you. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Read the next verse. I wish we all believed this. I wish the people living out there in sin believed this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You've rejected the only sacrifice, and now it's between you and holy God. And that is not a good place for you to be. You have nothing you can plead. You say, Brother Fred, how do I receive the sacrifice? Well, that's a whole message that I'm going to preach next. But you've got to have a godly sorrow that you've sinned against God. You remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Then she got pregnant. So he sent for her husband Uriah, got him drunk, and tried to get him to go sleep with his wife so that would think it was her, his child. And then Uriah wouldn't do it. And then they, he said, well, I'm going to send him to the front of the battlefield, and I'm going to tell all the troops to back up and let him be there by himself and let him get killed. That's exactly what happened. An adulterer and a murderer. I don't know how long it was before he repented. But you know, he did repent. And I want you just to listen to someone who has a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow and realizes that their sin is against God. And uh, I, I think I'll turn my Bible to it. 
and read it, and then I'll close with a word of prayer. I could quote it, but I'm not going to trust my memory. Here it is right here. Psalm um, 51. Boy, how many times I've prayed this, I cannot tell you. I believe I wore God out praying this prayer. Psalm 51. And if you don't know how to repent, you read Psalm 51 and ask God to make it real to you. Ask him to make it real to you. Now listen to it. Have mercy upon me, O God. He's crying for mercy. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out, blot out my sin. Blot out my transgressions. Oh, he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He was taking about them taking us some hyssop and putting in blood of a goat or calf. But soon it would be Jesus' blood. Wash me, Lord, thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. And listen to what he says. I acknowledge my transgressions. I'm guilty, Lord. My sin is always before me. Man, he went to bed at night. And every time he thought about Bathsheba or Saul or that little baby, he was reminded of the sin of adultery. And he was reminded of the murder of Uriah. And I'm telling you, I don't know how he slept. There's a passage where he was, I think he was saying, my bones have dried up. He said, my sin is ever before me. I can't get rid of it, Lord. And then he said, against you. Now, this is godly sorrow. Against you and you only have I sinned. Time out, David. You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. He said, no, you don't understand. My sin was against God. He had made me king. He had placed me as king. And now look at the way I have sinned against God. He said, don't, don't tell me that, 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 that it's, about, it's not about Bathsheba. It's not about Uriah. Against you, O God, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And then he goes on and says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. He said, I had a sinful nature. In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, in my heart. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. That was a little brush that they would dip in the blood of a goat and calf and would sprinkle it over the mercy seat or whatever. Purge me, or maybe on them, purge me with hyssop. I will be clean. Here's a promise. Wash me. And I'll be whiter than snow. My God, make me hear joy and gladness. You'll read this next verse. That your the bones you have broken may rejoice. When David was living in that sin, and he was under conviction of his sin, God put so much pressure. The Holy Spirit put so much pressure on David. 
he felt like, David felt like he was breaking his bones. <laughs> the heal, Lord, heal the bones you've broken. He was saying, God, you have crushed me. You have crushed me, Lord. Hide your face from my sin. Boy, he was begging God. Man, he had a godly sorrow. Hide my face from my, your sin, my sin. Blot out my transgressions. Blot them out, Lord. And he said, oh, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Oh, God, I'm tired of the guilt and the shame and the filth and the dirt. Oh, God, would you create in me a clean heart and renew a red steadfast spirit within me? And, you know, he said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, David truly repented and God used him in days to come as a man of God. But you know, I think the sin of our generation and the tragedy of the church that we have forgotten or minimized what it cost Jesus for us to be saved, that he had to be punished by his Father for my sin. And remember what he said on the cross, as all of our sins were upon him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's going to be the part of the next message when I preach again. And I want to show you about what Jesus said on the cross and what it meant. And it was an eye-opener. Have you ever wondered in your life what hell is like? I'm going to show you from the words Jesus said on the cross a vivid description of hell. And it all came from the mouth of the Son of God. Because on the cross, Jesus took our hell so we would never have to go to hell. I do not want to miss that message. As he hung there, he was describing five things about hell.